Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. This morning we're going to be uh, reading out of Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to uh, find it in your Bible or you can look on the screen above us. I encourage you to uh, open up God's Word, though, so that we may read this Word that we will be uh, hearing from our pastor this morning, Uh, beginning in chapter 12, 3, we read, Consider him who endured from sinners, that is Jesus, such hostility towards himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Not be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This morning I'm going to be looking actually at verses 3 through 6 with us for our message. We'll, Lord willing, take up the rest of this text next Sunday, but I appreciate Mac reading it in its entirety because it is uh, together here. And uh, but we're going to look just this morning at just as ver- verses three through six. And if you're joining us uh, for your first time or haven't been a part of our study, we're glad you're here. Glad to have you as guests this morning. We're in a series in the book of Hebrews. And as you can tell, we're coming to the near, near the end of the book. But we've entitled this series in Hebrews, Consider Jesus. He is infinitely greater. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, it has been such a joy to come into your presence this morning to worship you. I thank you that we've had the opportunity to obey your word where you tell us to come into your presence, to enter your presence with thanksgiving and to come into your courts with praise. And we've sought to do that, Father, to bring to you the sacrifices of our praise, of our joy, of our worship. And even as Hebrews, 
or Romans 12, 1 tells us, our very bodies as living sacrifice. And Lord, we pray that we will continue now in that same spirit of worship. Thank you for the, the sense of your presence this morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. And Father, we pray that the work of the Holy Spirit will be accomplished this morning to the, in the lives of believers, that we might uh, receive the, the, the instruction of the indwelling Holy Spirit to illumine uh, your word this morning, to give light to your word and understanding to your word, anointing on, uh, on me as your uh, messenger this morning. And Lord, upon the hearts of those who are here without Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work in the hearts of unbelievers to bring conviction, uh, to help them to see their sin and their separation from Christ and to be brought to the place of repentance, turning from their sin and faith, putting their trust in Jesus and him alone to save them. And we pray this for your glory. And Lord, cap make captive now every thought. Our minds and hearts uh, have so many things going on in them. This morning, I pray that everyone here will focus their attention upon you and upon your word and will hear from you today. Be glorified today in the outcome of this time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. I had the opportunity uh, recently at the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, to hear uh, a man by the name of Andrew Brunson. Perhaps you remember hearing that name on the, the news. He was uh, at a lot of news attention, international news, uh, but he was uh, a missionary uh, who, who was imprisoned uh, in Turkey for two years uh, by the government of Turkey. Uh, and I had the opportunity to hear his testimony. It was, it was a tremendous testimony. I encourage you to read about that and, and hear about that. But Pastor Brunson, as he's been uh, come to be called, he was accused of being a government spy. And he said, you know, if I could have been accused of, of propagating the gospel and arrested for that, uh, you know, that would have been much more comfortable But to be accused of being a spy. Uh, but, but he shared his testimony, and it was very, uh, very eye-opening because he was very honest. He said, it was very, very difficult. He said, it stretched me beyond what I could handle. He said, but there was grace. There were a lot of prayers sustaining me. He shared that at times he wanted to die. Uh, he lost a lot of weight, and, and it, for a while he was without the Scripture. And he said, quite honestly, even when I finally got a copy of the Bible, it was dry to me at that time. And he was going through a great difficulty. And he shared very openly and honestly what it was like for him. And he said he, said he, was, he, he considered suicide uh, during the time he was in, in prison. But he said it was only when he shifted his focus about what the legacy of faith he would pass on to his children and resolve to fight for his faith that his perspective changed. Well, when we hear those kinds of testimonies, we might ask the question, could God have prevented that? Could God have kept that man from going through that suffering? And of course, quite honestly, yes, the answer is yes. Then we say, well, then why does God allow us to go through such tremendous suffering like persecution. And we're going to see primarily the, the suffering these believers uh, were experiencing here, uh, who were the, re the receivers and the readers of the, the first readers of the book of Hebrews, uh, were be believers who were going through tremendous persecution for their faith. But this message today, I will, you'll see uh, God's application in your own life to every aspect 
of suffering in our lives. Uh, and as we examine this passage, as I studied it this week, you know, I, uh, and I think all of us may say, well, is the writer dealing with suffering or is he dealing with discipline? Because he uses discipline numerous times in this passage. And, and, and I believe now that the answer is yes, both, both suffering and discipline. And I, as I entitled the message today, uh, suffering uh, is a tool of discipline from God's loving hand. And, uh, but I want us to consider something else. It's kind of been eye-opening to me. I've read Hebrews many, many times, uh, as, as I'm sure many of you have. But I, I've come to see it in a, in a different light in this area of suffering and how it is a tool of discipline. And I want you to consider with me, uh, not, not into the outline yet. This is still the, the, the message, or it may be in your, your outline there, but this is a part of the introduction, I should say. That I believe there's at least four areas uh, or reasons or purposes that God has for discipline in our life. John MacArthur helped me out on these, but I, I changed them up a little and added one. The first area is, um, is correction. Now that one we automatically know. When we think of the word discipline, we immediately think correction, right? God disciplines us like we, are dis- we were disciplined as uh, children or we discipline our children. Uh, and there are a number of biblical examples we could cite as those who were disciplined uh, lovingly by, by God. We can certainly think about David in the Old Testament, Jonah. We're looking at, by the way, on Wednesday evenings, we're going looking at the book of Jonah and the discipline that he received from the Lord. We can come over to the New Testament. There's a couple there by the name of Ananias and Sapphira very early in the life of the church who lied about what they said they had uh, given, and they died uh, as a result of God's discipline. You go over to the book of 1 Corinthians, and I gave the scripture passage there, I believe, uh, of the, the members of the church at Corinth who abused the Lord's Supper and uh, they also uh, were looked down on snobbishly, the poorer members of the church, and treated them un- unga- in an ungodly way. And as a result of that, the Bible said, Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 11, there are many of you who are sick and many who have died as a result of this. So this was God's corrective discipline. Does God still discipline that way? Absolutely, he does. Uh, That's not the only kind of discipline that God has, and I want us to see that for a moment and think about some others. Another one we might call prevention. This was one that MacArthur gave, that God disciplines his children to prevent sin. And you might think about that and how that applies to you as parents, how you sometimes have to uh, discipline in the sense of preventing things from happening and danger from incurring in the life of your children. Paul gave himself as an example there in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He said that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. It's not identified as to what that was, but Paul said it was a messenger of Satan to harass me or buffet me, he said, to keep me from becoming conceited. In other words, God gave him this thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming puffed up or proud. And so this was a form of discipline that was preventive in nature. A third area uh, that God uses uh, discipline in our lives is what we might call formation. Formation. And a clear example of of, uh, God, this this purpose of discipline, that God is forming us or growing us in Christ-likeness, a good example is, is Job. You go to Job chapter 1, verse 1, and Job is described there as blameless, upright, 
one who feared God and turned away from evil. So right off, you know that uh, Job's a godly man. God, and so the discipline that God uh, brought, allowed Satan to bring against him, was certainly, and the suffering he endured, was not corrective in nature. Uh, it was, again, I believe, formational. It was for the purpose of growing him. And, and certainly other reasons as well. But in Job 42.5, Job acknowledges that, his, that through his suffering, he had come to see God more Clearly, How many of you have gone through suffering? You don't have to raise your hand. But you realize as a result of that suffering, you began to understand something about the nature of God that you didn't know. Something about his character, about his love, of his grace, and his person. You came to know the word of God more deeply. And so, so this is a formation. is certainly a part of that. And so God allows suffering in our lives so that through our humble response, we may grow in the likeness of Christ. And then there's a fourth area I'm going to mention, and that is exaltation. Again, God's plan for us is that through our suffering, and I, by the way, I believe this would include all kinds of suffering that I've already mentioned, but God's plan is that Jesus be exalted through our suffering. In Philippians 1.20, Paul said, It is my eager expectation and hope that, that through his suffering, uh, for, that, that Christ would be honored or magnified, he said, whether by life or by death. And so we can be aware of these things. And I think as we go, and uh, you may, may have, some of you may think of other areas or purposes that God has for suffering in our lives. But I think it's good for us when we are go going through suffering to evaluate what's God doing in my life. And so I hope those will be helpful to you. But I want you to consider with me from these verses today, verses three to six, uh, three things or three truths concerning suffering a tool of discipline from God's loving hand. First of all, begin with verse three. Uh, I believe the first truth that we want us to see is that we should consider Jesus' suffering. Again, he tells us there in verse, uh, verse three, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And again, uh, this, uh, this particular word for consider, although there's another word used uh, in chapter 3. I read it just this morning uh, in Hebrews 3. Uh, but this is the only time this particular word consider is used in the New Testament. And really it, it fits right in with, with verse 2 that Hunter preached last Sunday. Verse 2 where he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This word, uh, the word logarithm comes from the, the Greek word here. And, uh, and again, it, it has the idea of, of carefully examining or even meditating on. So God wants us to do that. He wants us to do that continuously. Uh, and, it, it's, and we should do that always as believers, but particularly when we are going through a time of suffering. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Look carefully and meditate on the hostility that the Lord Jesus uh, suffered there. He was perfect, sinless, undeserving of this mistreatment, but he endured it faithfully. In fact, as we said from Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, ultimately though, the, all of these people suffered for their faith and they endured in their faith. The Lord Jesus, above all, endured in faith on our behalf. In fact, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
about the suffering of the, of the cross and Jesus' response. 1 Peter 2, 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The Lord Jesus endured faithfully, even the hostility that was brought against him. And for these, again, struggling believers here in, in Hebrews and to struggling believers from that time to today and even today, uh, the, this word of considering Jesus is so important. Why does he say we need to do that? He said that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This was language uh, that was used in the sports world of this day. And Hunter preached about that again last week as he talked about running that race. And uh, so picture that, that long-distance runner and uh, again, it's not, a, it's not a sprint, it's not a short distance, it's a long distance race. And so what is likely to happen? Well, along the way, they're certainly likely and liable to grow weary and to become faint-hearted. That means they, they get exhausted and they give up or they drop out of the race. And it's a painful uh, race. And, uh, and so again, that's been the message of the book of Hebrews all throughout this book, not to faint, not to draw back, not to shrink back. And, and he's challenging them once again, uh, just as we've seen uh, through these believers um, that we've seen in Hebrews chapter 11 who were going through such who went through such tremendous uh, trial and suffering, so they too must continue faithfully. Again, they were being tempted to drop out of the race. You might imagine, as we said, these were primarily, we understand, uh, people who'd come to faith in Jesus out of Judaism. Many of them still had families who were in Judaism, and they were looking, they were showing them, look at what you're having to endure. Look at the suffering you're having to go through. You wouldn't have to go through that if you had not left uh, Judaism, if you had continued, and uh, why don't you come back? And, and so, uh, so they were truly being tempted, uh, to, uh, and others who may not be tempted to uh, drop out of the race were at least being tempted to slack off a little bit. You know, I mean, don't give it your all, just coast, as we talked about, about shrinking back. Just, just kind of, you know, don't run, just jog a little bit. I mean, you know, or maybe just ought to take a time out. You ever hear anybody say that? I, you know, I just need some time on the bench. I just need to kind of take it easy for a while. I've heard people do that when they were thinking about, about maybe transitioning to a new church. I remember a couple that said, you know, we want to join your church. It wasn't here, by the way, but, but we don't really want to do anything. We just kind of want to come, and we just kind of want to soak it up. We, in other words, they were saying, we just want to coast. And that's exactly, no doubt, what these believers were, were thinking about because, again, they knew that, that it was hard and the persecution was tremendous. So let me ask you today, are, are you growing weary in your race for Christ? Um, are you being tempted to drop out? Obviously, there are. There are some today who are not with us today who are at home or, you know, somewhere else. They, they decided... We're just going to drop out. We're just, it's just not worth it. Uh, but maybe you're not being tempted to drop out, but maybe you are being tempted to slack up. Maybe you just want to coast a little bit. You, you want to just uh, take it easy for 
a while. Well, I just want to remind you, as we are told here in verse 3, consider Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Look to Jesus. He, uh, he did not back up. He did not slack. He, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, as this verse 2 says, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He won the victory, brothers and sisters, as we sang about this morning. And because he did, because he endured, we now have the victory of the cross. And we have the victory of the empty tomb. We have the living Lord Jesus. And friend, I want to say to you, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of whatever suffering you must endure as a follower of his. So endure faithfully. Continue to run the race, looking to Jesus, considering Jesus. And I want to say to unbelievers today, if you're here, and you may look at that and you say, you mean, if I come to Jesus, you're saying that, that I'm going to have to suffer? Well, I just want to remind you, uh, first of all, of why Jesus suffered. Why did Jesus suffer the, the, the pain of the cross? And, and it was far greater even than the physical pain. That would certainly be bad enough. But the, the, what Jesus endured and the hostility that Jesus endured and what he endured on the cross was the perfect, sinless son of God, the God-man. On the cross, the Bible says, he became sin for us. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin. And he bore our sins, the Bible says, in his body on that cross. He suffered separation from God the Father on the cross. He endured that terrible pain. Why did he go through such agony on our behalf? Again, he did that because he became the sinless substitute for sinners. And he bore our sins there on the cross so that our sin could be forgiven. And that is the only way, the only way that our sin as can be, can be forgiven. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I want to plead with you today. If you're here without Jesus, I want to say to you, consider Jesus. Consider what Jesus endured. And if you have not done so, we urge you today, repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Place your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross and the fact that he rose again and he's alive. Uh, and and, and his, his substitute is the only substitute that can make substitution that can truly make an eternal difference in anyone's life and the only thing that can cleanse us from our sin. So again, I urge you today to consider Jesus suffering. But secondly, I want to urge you today from this passage to evaluate your own suffering. Look at verse number four. And there's a couple of things I want to say to you concerning that. First of all, evaluate the reason for your suffering. He says in verse four, in your struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin. So he tells us really that the reason for our suffering is that it is a struggle. You're in a struggle against sin. If you're a believer today, you are in a struggle against sin. He's switching the metaphor here really from the race now to wrestling or fighting. This word, this word struggle or fight, I believe it's the Greek word agonizomai. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like agony. It's an agonizing fight. It's a tough fight. It's not fake wrestling like, like we used to have. Do they still have it now? We used to call it Saturday night wrestling. You know, we, all, we knew it was phony. It wasn't real. Well, this, folks, is real. There's nothing fake or phony about what we're involved in 
as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And true believers, while you say, well, I thought God took care of all that at the cross. Yes, Jesus took care of the penalty of sin. As believers, we no longer will suffer the penalty for our sin. We, the Bible says that there's no more condemnation against us who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Amen. The Bible even says he's delivered us from the power of sin. He defeated the power of sin so that we don't have to yield to sin. We can live victoriously, but we're still in a struggle. We still have, the Bible says in Romans 6 and 7, we still have the power of sin within us. We still have an enemy who tempts us to sin. Our flesh is tempted to sin. And so, yes, we're still in a fight. And, and I believe that involves what he, the, the fight we're talking about is uh, 12.1, that sin which clings so closely and uh, the sin of unbelief we must fight. And specifically here, we fight the tendency in our flesh to want to quit. We fight the tendency in our flesh to want to give up and to give in. And so we are constantly in this struggle. Peter challenged the believers in 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. So, friends, I don't have to tell you, we're in a battle. You know it, right? And so, again, evaluate the reason for your suffering because we're struggling against sin. But secondly, evaluate the reality about your suffering. And uh, a couple of things I would say about that, I believe this verse indicates here. One is it could be worse. Notice what he says. In, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now here he's, he's speaking to these specific believers here uh, who are the recipients of this letter. And at this point, none of them had died. Now, we know that's not going to continue to be true, but at this point, none of them had, 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 had died as martyrs, and at least in this local church. And uh, we, we, of course, see examples of those who suffered greatly. And Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to us. So they'd already suffered more probably than any of us have suffered. Notice back in, in chapter 10, I'll remind you again of what he's already, we've already seen, Hebrews 10, 32. He says there, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So these folks, some of them were in, had been in prison. They were suffering with those who were in prison, maybe family members. They, some of them had lost their property. I don't know if any of you well, people, have any of you lost your property as a result of being a believer, just simply because you're a believer? No doubt that meant some of them had lost jobs. And uh, so uh, do people like that suffer in the United States? I, I would imagine so. But in many countries of the world, it's far more intense. And so again, I believe he's saying to them, it, it could be worse. But I believe the second thing he says to them is it may get more intense. The words, not yet. 
not yet. I believe are full of meaning. And they, they show us the reality of those who, who have suffered to the point of death. And they give us an indication that it, it, that it not only may, but very likely will become more intense. And for them, these believers of this time, it did. And it continues today. Back in uh, Hebrews eleven thirty five, we saw those, the, again, the description of those. Uh, uh, some, verse 35b says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in, the, in skins of, um, of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. So again, these are believers who, uh, Old Testament saints who had gone through great suffering. And of course, many New Testament believers have and continue to go through tremendous suffering and experience the great intensity of their suffering because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so again, uh, the, 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 those who have endured in their fight against sin and did not quit, their completed race, even at the point of death, means we can endure. You know, I was talking to a, a family member the other day about a, a, a family member who's going through some great suffering, and he said, I don't know if I could do that. And, you, and sometimes you see and you hear about believers who suffer great pain and, and torture from their, for their faith all over the world. And we say, I don't know if I can. Well, dear friend, Jesus is able. You, aren't, you can't, but we sang about it this morning. He's able. And he's able to deliver us. He's able to, to enable us to run our race with faith. And again, we look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus endured and defeated sin and his victory over sin enables us to have victory over sin and over suffering, over persecution or whatever comes our way. The ministry called the Voice of the Martyrs website indicates that every six minutes, a believer is killed for following Jesus. And I'm sure there are many other uh, facts that could be uh, cited about those who are suffering, who haven't died yet, but every six minutes around the world. I want to urge you to to think about this. In fact, I want to urge you to sign up for the Voice of the Martyrs Conference on August 10th at Cross Point Baptist Church. And, uh, and again, to read books like The Insanity of God and other books that talk about Fox's Book of Martyrs, an older one, that talk about um, the suffering that Christians have endured. Why? Because it helps us to evaluate our own suffering and, quite frankly, to prepare us for what may be ahead. Are you evaluating today or will you evaluate the suffering of your own life today in the light of Christ, in the light of these who've suffered faithfully? But thirdly, I want to urge you to remember what God says about your suffering. Look again at verses 5 and 6. He asks that question in verse, verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? In other words, have you forgotten what God says, you're struggling, you're, you're thinking about throwing in the towel, don't forget what God says. Don't forget the word of God. So let's consider one, some of the things that God has said, and he's quoting today here at, from Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. First of all, he reminds you, God reminds you of your relationship with him. Uh, verses 5 and 6, that's a, a clear word in this passage. He calls you sons, he says here. And uh, he addresses you as sons. He then quotes these verses. 
And, uh, and we're reminded in these verses, as he, call, he says in verse, uh, there in the latter part of verse five, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And then verse six, for the Lord loves the, uh, disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So he's, he's reminding them of their relationship, reminding us of our relationship with God. So when you go through suffering, particularly when you go through suffering of persecution, be reminded. This is not a time for uh, d- discouragement. It's a time in that sense of the word to be encouraged because of what it's indicating. We're reminded that we are his children. We're his sons adopted into his family and, and with the full sense of that adoption. Romans 8, uh, 16 and 7, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, all, we may also be glorified with him. So he reminds them of their sonship. He reminds them of his love for them, his great love. And again, if you ever doubt God's love for you, look at the cross. Look at the cross where Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But then you have a lot of other current illustrations of that, don't you? God's grace, his provision, all the ways. The Bible says he daily loads us with benefits. He loves you. So be reminded of that as you're walking through suffering in your life. Be reminded of your relationship, his relationship with you, your relationship with him. Be reminded again of his love demonstrated at the cross to purchase our salvation. Uh, And again, be reminded that when, when he disciplines you through suffering, it comes from his loving hand. That God is love, he's light, and in him is no darkness at all. And it's not an indication that he does not love us, but just the opposite, that he does love us. It's an indication of his love. But he not only tells you how, uh, tells you and reminds you of, of your relationship, but he, re- he tells you how to respond to suffering. And again, I believe this would regard, be true of any suffering, uh, and and uh, first of all, I believe he tells us, don't regard it lightly. He says that there in, in, uh, in, verse, in verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. How can you regard uh, discipline lightly? Again, John MacArthur gives a couple of ways, and I'm going to, uh, several ways, I'm going to share one that, <clears throat> that I believe is also true. One of them is what we, through what we might call callousness. In other words, when the discipline comes through suffering and, uh, and we don't recognize it, we don't recognize it as being from God's hand. And, and so we're just kind of callous to it. And therefore we miss the purpose of what God is doing through that suffering in our life. We're not aware of how God is working there. So when those things happen in your life, that, that calls for attention. That calls for uh, looking to the Lord. And again, responding to him and going to him in prayer and going to him through the word and letting him teach you through that moment. Because again, that's what discipline is. Discipline is teaching. It's God teaching us. It's God working in us to make us more like Christ. And so so again, it's important not to be be callous. Another way we can respond uh, inappropriately or treating it lightly is by complaining. By complaining. You ever complain about your suffering? Do you complain 
or about persecution? Well, um, again, complaining is, is when we grumble, when we think the, the suffering is unfair, when we think the suffering is too harsh. If we do that, dear friend, we'll miss God's purpose. I remember telling a young lady <clears throat> who, who was going through with her family a very difficult trial, and, and um, you know, I said, if you fail the test, you have to take, you have to take it over. And, uh, and, and I believe that's often true in our lives. If we don't respond the right way to the suffering and the, the, the trial that God allows in our life, the discipline that God allows in our lives, then, 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 then we're going to miss it and God's going to have to continue to, to work in that area of our lives. And so once again, it's very important that we respond. But thirdly, another area is what I might call confusion. And by that I mean if we're confused doctrinally and biblically, about the, the doctrine, if you will, or the truth, if you will, about suffering, the theology of suffering. If we think, in other words, that God it would never allow suffering in our lives. Now, that's, uh, that's right out of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. They teach that God would not allow uh, suffering. God wouldn't do that. And they say, oh, no, uh, only the devil causes that. And so basically that means every time something bad or something difficult or a trial or suffering or persecution comes into their life, then immediately they say, it's from the devil, it's from the devil, it's from the devil. That's confusion. That's not what the Word of God teaches. And we'll see that in a few moments. But that, that will hinder you from being able to, it, that will cause you to treat lightly that suffering in your life, that discipline in your life, and will, it, you will not be able to, re, to receive what God is trying to teach you through that suffering in your life. A second area, not only don't treat it lightly, but don't be weary. Don't be weary. He said, again, he says not to be faint-hearted or be weary. And this, again, this is a... This is again the person, we, we described it back in verse 3, is the person in the race who gets exhausted under the, under the heavy weight of, the, uh, of that burden and therefore they just, they're ready to quit, they're ready to drop out. I've been re- I started on my vacation reading Pilgrim's Progress and that's a lot of the message of Pilgrim's Progress about that burden, that weight, it seems too great. And that's exactly what you see uh, here is that person who's, who's ready to quit and, uh, and again, to, to become depressed, to become hopeless, as if God has abandoned us. And, and again, this person who faints has lost sight of the fact that God loves him or her. He's self-focused and absorbed in his trials so much that he can't see God's perspective and can't see God's purpose. So once again, brothers and sisters, consider Jesus. Jesus wasn't confused. He wasn't trying to get out from under the purpose of his suffering. He knew this was why God had, uh, had him here. And he, and he trusted the Lord and he faithfully followed the Father and obeyed the Father. But I want you to see not only uh, this, what God is saying to us here in the, these verses, but third thing I think God is saying to us here and that, that we should not forget, and that is that he is sovereign over your suffering. Notice again in verse 6, he said, God chastises every son whom he receives. Okay? You know what that means? That means if you're a child of God, you've been born again, you've repented of your sin, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, there are no exceptions and there are no exemptions. Every one of God's children is going to go through suffering. That's just a fact. And so we need to acknowledge that. 
and, uh, and, uh, and God is sovereign over that. He's the one who chastises us. And the word here, uh, scourges, is a reference, means the flogging of a whip. So God administers this discipline with his own loving hand. And sometimes it can be very painful, but it's never administered in harshness, only in love. I don't know about you as a parent, uh, my children now are certainly grown, and, uh, and, um, but I can remember there were times, even though I felt like I was a pretty long-suffering dad, there were times that I disciplined out of anger. There were times that I probably disciplined too harshly. But you know what? God doesn't do that. Amen? God is not harsh. God is good. He's holy. He's righteous in all his ways. So you can trust him. Job, you know, when, so just to remind you of God's sovereignty in our suffering, after Job had lost all of his flocks and all of their 10 children had died, his wife said to him, you know, I listened to a message the other day from John Piper on Job, and I'd not really thought about Job's wife. <laughs> Job's wife suffered too, didn't she? I mean, she lost her 10 children too. She lost all their flocks too. And she was walking through that with him. But she said to him, are you still clinging to fast to your integrity? Curse God and die, she said. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Again, Piper pointed out, he didn't say, you always talk like that, you wicked woman. He didn't say that. He said, you talk like, this is not, this is out of character for you. you, you, you you're talking like one of the foolish women. He didn't say you're a foolish woman. He said you're talking like one of them. And, and, and God understood what she was struggling with. He understood what she was going through. Great pain. You can only imagine. I can only imagine. But then he said to her, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Folks, God was in control. He was sovereign over Job's suffering. He's sovereign over our suffering. He's in control. God is someone, I think it was, was R.C. Sproul that said, God is either completely sovereign over everything or he's not sovereign at all. You know, there's not an in-between. God is sovereign. In fact, near the end of the book of Job, when God had spoken to Job and restored him, we read that his family came to him and showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Now, folks, God's not evil. God is good. He's holy. He's right. But he's sovereign over everything. You see that in the life of Jesus, do you not? In Judas is a perfect example of that. God is completely sovereign, and he's sovereign over the suffering in our life. And if we can understand that, that'll make a great difference in the way we respond to it, the way we look at it, the way we deal with it, the way we, we receive it from the hand of God and allow God to accomplish in us and through us the purpose that he had intended for us. Trust your loving heavenly Father. As we indicated, uh, the primary source for suffering in the life of these believers was persecution. Now, again, I believe this applies to all kinds of sufferings. We've talked about it. It includes physical, health, financial, family, all these things. But specifically, their suffering was persecution for following Jesus. I mentioned the book by Nick Ripkin, uh, entitled The Insanity of God, and I, I encourage you to read that. He says the reason for persecution for, for believers 
here and around the world is that having found faith in Christ, they have such a passion for Jesus that they must share the good news of his sacrificial love and forgiveness with their families, their friends, their neighbors. They refuse to keep Jesus to themselves. He said, you know, if you don't want persecution, just don't tell anybody about Jesus. But then you'd be disobeying God, wouldn't you? They couldn't keep it to themselves. And I, I believe clearly that true believers can't keep Jesus to themselves. One evidence of knowing if you're truly his child, if you want to tell somebody. You want to share Jesus with others. And that's what leads to persecution around the world. He, met, he talked about a believer who'd gone through tremendous persecution for his faith in another country. He, and he said this to him, I took great joy that I was suffering in my country so that you, as an American citizen, could be free to witness in your country. Then this believer raised his voice and said, don't you ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. Let me say it again. He said loudly, don't you ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. You see, friend, we are all free to share the gospel. We're free here. They're free there. We may not go to jail for it. We may not be beaten. We may not have our family taken away from us or lose our job. They may. But we have a responsibility. What are we doing in freedom that is causing our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world to experience great persecution? You see, we support them. We stand with them when we are willing to boldly proclaim the gospel regardless of what the circumstances, regardless of the persecution that may result. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.